0: everyone um my head feels better um i'm just kind of sore for those of you who get um migraine headaches um you know like the day after one it you get like this everything's just a little sore like like your brain worked out. I, I I can't even really explain it. It's really weird. But you know how like when you work out or you run and your muscles are sore afterwards. That's kind of how you feel after a migraine. Or that's how I feel after a migraine. Like I I worked my brain or something. I don't know. It's it, it's bizarre. But a migraine is um swelling. I mean part of it. It's an inflammation headache. And so you have to take anti-inflammatories along with my, migraine medication to manage it. Um, which I did. Um, and so it's, it's just a soreness, and I, I can't even really explain it. It's, um, yeah, it's craziness. Anyway, it's a nice question. Comes from Jillie. And her and Lady Holder went over to my site and asked a bunch of questions. I appreciate it. There were 12 questions. 14 questions. There were 14 questions. Yes. Something like that. And somebody else asked them too. So there have been a lot of questions. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, tonight's qu- uh, question comes from Jilly. And she says, What do you think makes fans zoom in on a character and go, Yep, that's the one. That's the favorite. Certainly all characters are liked by someone. By someone but usually <coughs> a show or a movie has a character that stands out above the rest. From my perspective, that would be Supernatural is with Dean Styles with Teen Wolf, Tony with NCIS, Spencer Criminal Minds. And then there's shows like SG1 and SGA where it could be argued about who's the fandom favorite. Is it about those characters that makes us sit up and take notice? And more importantly, how to bring that level of interest to an original character? Um, I think that what makes a character stand out in fandom, especially someone like Styles, who wasn't even supposed to be the central character of the show is that you relate very, that he resonates with, um, the show's watchers. He is, um, he's relatable. He's someone that they invest in because there's something about him that, um, that they enjoy or they sympathize with. um, It's a very human connection. And I think that's true with um, a lot of characters. I think with Tony and NCIS, it's more than just his attitude or um, uh, his good looks, um, because Michael Weatherly is a very good-looking man. It's... um, the connection that he makes with other characters and with the show um, is very central. I don't know how they're going to have a show without him, to be honest. I, I I really don't know how that's going to work out. Um, uh, Spencer in Criminal Minds. I think Spencer is the heart of, of Criminal Minds. He is um, sensitive and brilliant and... Um, he's beautiful he's a, he, he's a beautiful young man and um but he has a lot of heart and he makes connections to people and i think in a lot of ways spencer represents the parts of the audience the innocence the shock the um the emotional connections that he makes with victims or with his teammates and he um it it's just each time that there's a fandom favorite it's because that character resonates deeply in you and you understand something about them because you relate to it you um you relate to Spencer's um loneliness or his emotional um attachment to his mother uh his his innocence um his his heart there's just so much about spencer that just kind of draws you in and you're like oh oh spencer be okay don't get shot oh my god don't get shot (laughs) and you just you just fall right into it and you just kind of fall in love with the character and so i think that's what brings um these characters into fandom in such a way that you're like, yeah, that's the one. That's my favorite. Um, uh, With original characters, um, you have to humanize them and you have to make them it's more than humanization. It's more than giving them a flaw. It's uh, creating creating uh a a whole person with um with passions and ambitions and um with love and with hate and um and arrogance and you know just when your character is three dimensional on the page they're going to attract readers whether It's because uh, they have a history that the reader connects with. They have a goal the the reader connects with. I think one of the reasons why I really connected with McKay on Stargate is because um, I grew up in a situation where I was expected to excel. Um, I uh, was forced to... uh, I was forced into testing situations when I was really young and um, as a result of those tests, I was put into elevated classes and I, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. You're wasting your potential. Why? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you studying this in college? Why aren't you doing this? And there were so many expectations. And I, I think for me, the scene that really connected me with Rodney was when he told Sam about the piano lessons and how he was told he was technical, technically proficient, but he had no passion. And they took that from him. I was told at a very young age that um, writing should be a hobby and I should never, um, ever think about making it a career, because there's no money in it, and um, it'd be a waste of my potential. Um, I, you know, not my mother. My mother was super supportive, but in academia, especially in college and in high school, I was I was pushed towards um, sciences when I had no interest in it. And I was pushed into AP science classes, and I was pushed, push, 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 you know, and my guidance counselor in high school actually picked out my medical school. I'm, I'm like, I'm serious. She totally picked out my medical school, <laughs> and I appreciated how much faith she had in me, had me. Right? I mean, she totally believed that I could do this, and and I I kind of gave into it for for a little bit, and um, but my heart wasn't in it. And so I, I really connected with Rodney in that particular episode, and I think that was an episode of SG One. So when he when he came to Stargate, I was like, yes, yes, thank you. Um, and I, 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 so I really connected to McKay in that way. I, um, I understood uh, the, um the dream that he had that was basically destroyed by someone who didn't understand him. And, um, I went to school with a lot of really intelligent people. Uh, and many of them were a great deal alike. Rodney. Um, I was in high school with these kids and, um, I was in college with a few of them because we all ended up in the same place. And, they were all pressured in, in various ways to do this, do that, do this. Live up to the potential. And when you don't meet their expectations, there's this pity on their face. Like, you didn't live up to their expectations. You didn't meet the potential they saw in you. Um, and, it, and it's really... it's. It, It's a terribly judgmental situation, very, very, very. When you value something you can do more than another person does, and um, and it's sorry, the chat room distracted me. Um, it it's so that's why I I deeply connect with with Rodney. I. I really do. I was I was told for a very long time that... Um, I remember when I was a senior in college, I had a notebook and it was full of short stories that I had written um, about uh, a little girl who grew up in a concentration camp. She spent the first six or seven years of her life in a concentration camp and then she comes to America. And so I, I had all these short stories in this book. And there were like, this notebook, and there were like, I don't know, 15 or 20 of these. And it spanned basically her birth until she got married. And um, it was all these short stories. And I lost the notebook. And I was really upset because I was really kind of enthralled with this project that I was writing. And it was gone. And it was gone for like a week and a half. And then my history teacher... I was taking a world history course. It was my final history requirement for graduation, and I'd been putting it off forever and ever and ever because I really didn't want to take a history class. And um, he was—he uh, asked me to stay after class, and um, he put the notebook down on the desk in front of me. He said, first, I want to apologize for invading your privacy." I didn't know it was yours until I got to the back of it and it had your name in it. So next time, put your name on the front of your notebook. (laughs) He goes, second, this is the best thing I've ever read in my life. Are you going to be a writer? Well, what are you doing? Is is this all you've ever written? And he was just like really, really super invested in, in me as a writer. So... The first time I published, I sent him um, a copy of the book. And he called me and he said, look at you. I'm so proud. I'm so excited. He said, my wife read it twice. (laughs) I only got to read it once. (laughs) And he was like one of the first teachers who ever um, looked away from the potential that I demonstrated in other courses and said, this is, this is, this is, what is, what is, what is this? What, you have it. Whatever it is, he was like one of the first people to tell me, I have it. It. You have it. And when you work in, um in the arts. Uh, Whether you're an, an artist or a writer or a musician and you're told by somebody else, someone you respect, that you have that mysterious it, it's awesome. I mean, it's an amazing moment to be told you have that it, whatever that it is. And I don't even know what that it is, but I know it when I see it in other people. I'm like, oh, yeah, you got it. You you've got it. That that's awesome. Look at you. Um, It just becomes this amazing thing, and you you have. um, (laughs) It's like learning you got the force. Kind of it, kind of is learning like you got the force. It's um, it's it's an acceptance of who you are as um, an artist whatever that artist may be you know that when when you're told that something that a talent that you keep close is is worthy of sharing with other people uh yeah i mean that's pretty amazing and so i really i really really super connected with um with rodney from the very beginning and i think that connection comes from um a personal uh place I think that's true with really any situation where you have a favorite character there's something about them that their personal circumstances in a, in, in some small way or in or in sometimes in a very big way um really I'm sorry I made you cry <laughs> um uh whether it's small or it's big uh <laughs> that connection once it's made you make you you have a very deep investment in the character and you um and it and it makes you it it makes you root for them and and get mad when somebody's mean to them and and just you just really, you just really deeply invest in them in a very personal way. You know, if you're crazy, that can go in terrible, terrible directions. Pardon me for a minute. That's my mama. <laughs> Hello? Hey. Um, I was at the grocery store and now I'm doing my podcast. I didn't realize you had called me. I'm on I'm on the internet radio. <laughs> I actually I had totally forgotten, but <laughs> <laughs> Um, my listeners are saying hi. <laughs> I said, My listeners are saying hi to you. She said hi back. <laughs> Okay. Bye. (laughs) She, um... Oh, I have a new voicemail. Um, Lady Holder, is that you who left me voicemail? (laughs) Oh, that's probably my mama, because she she asked me if she wanted to know why I didn't call her back. Me... And the man, we at the grocery store, <laughs> this is, I'll tell you a story, we're were we were, we were at the grocery store, right, and um, he keeps, you know, he's kind of like a little satellite. He just kind of rotates around me and goes off and gets stuff and comes back and I do the whole route through the store and he goes away and comes back. And he was like, what are all these creepy old men in here? <laughs> so there's always creepy old men in the grocery store, that's what they do. <laughs> It's like their out <laughs> and it's like it's so true. There were like ten or fifteen of them in there. He was just—he didn't understand. He was like, "What is this?" <laughs> it was pretty funny. And also, this man has no ability whatsoever to estimate how much money we've spent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you an example. So we have—we have our cart, um, and um. He's all, he's all bitchy and he's like, We've probably spent $300. I said, No, we haven't. We have not spent $300. And he was like, Yes, we have. We totally have spent $300. I said, we, we are nowhere near $300. I promise you. And the whole time we we're like arguing about it all the way up to the self checkout because I like to pack my own groceries because nobody else does it to suit me. So I'm in self checkout and he's like really irritated with my whole process. But I don't care because I have a certain way of doing things and that's the way they're going to be done. And so I get my little bags out. Oh, he was really irritated with the cost of, um, oh, God, what was it? He was, he was like, it was ridiculous. It was, um, ground beef, maybe? It might have been the cost. It might have been the asparagus. I don't remember. Either way. So, I'm, I'm doing all my stuff, and I get all the things organized, and the freezer stuff in one bag. And, you know, and I'm just doing my thing. And, um... Our bill was one hundred and eighty seven dollars. It was hundred and eighty seven dollars. And um he was like so I, I see I think I told you it was nowhere near three <laughs> hundred. He's ridiculous. He's oh he was ridiculous. But but I have to wonder if he's the only man who um who does that. Well, I knew that I was somewhere in the range of with taxes i knew i was somewhere in the range of 175 to 190 i don't need to use a calculator to do that cuz i do some i do all the grocery shopping and depending on what store i am i you know i can pretty much look at a bu- a, a basket of groceries and tell you almost with, within 10 dollars how much i've spent um but <laughs> <laughs> he was adamant that we had spent $300 at the very least. Um, I pay about $5 for a half gallon of milk. But I get that organic Horizon milk. especially that's really the only milk that I can drink since I have my gall butter surgery. That doesn't make me sick of the dog. But also, I have an app for Kroger. And an app for Publix. Where I can do a grocery list. And it will have prices listed for me. So but yeah i i only drink horizon organic milk these days because anything else will make me sick as a dog just deeply sick <sighs> but you know we got we got hamburger meat um we got a whole chicken god we got five bags of chips don't judge us um three bags you know three boxes of cereal um uh green beans some asparagus I paid three dollars and ninety five cents a pound for honey crisp apples I regret nothing honey crisp apples are the best apples i i did an app- um i did an apple uh um, survey where I tried a whole bunch of different apples, and Honeycrisp are my favorite. I like the Fuji ones. Um, I used to be a, just I only ate Red Delicious apples. Now I won't touch a Red Delicious. I've tried all the other ones. And I'm like, what's what the hell? I was missing so much. But I like the Fuji. Um, the man likes granny smith uh but my my super preference is honey crisp and they are so fucking expensive they are so fucking expensive anyways um ambrosia i like the ambrosia but um i got one that was really really good uh but the next one i got the ambrosia it was kind of mealy and i got really pissed off um so but i have never had a mealy Honeycrisp. Even when they're bruised, they're still fucking amazing. I don't like pink ladies. But I did try... I mean, I had... I, I went and got one apple of each. I had an apple survey. I totally recommend it because you learn so much about apples and what you really would prefer. I think the pink lady is too tart. And, like, we're totally off the subject. Since this is Jillie's question and she's on the phone, I'm going to let her... Uh, come on. Unless she doesn't want to. Jilly, do you not want to? I won't make you, I won't force you. Okay. Consent is important. <laughs>
1: That's our mantra. Consent is important.
0: <laughs> it is super important. The other day, I guess it was a couple of months ago, there was this picture that got posted in Minion Headquarters on Facebook. And it was like, what would you do if you came home and saw this guy on your couch? And he was really attractive. He was really attractive. And someone said I would lick him. Do I get to keep him if I lick him? And I'm like, I wanted to say, well, you have to ask first. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't lick somebody without asking. You have to ask. Consent is important. Even if he's half naked on your couch, you still have to ask.
1: <laughs> now, if you didn't ask him to be there, you can shoot him without any consent because <laughs> the motherfucker's
0: not supposed to be in your couch. But but you can't lick him. No. If you're gonna make intimate contact, you need to ask first. That's right. If you can shoot without consent. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible world we live in. <laughs> 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 So, why do you think um, different characters are become favorites? Well, I assume you do have an answer to this question. You just asked it for a topic.
1: Yeah, I was. I mean, some. I mean, I know. Why I think some characters have a, are. Yeah, I mean, I was pulling stuff out of my ass, coming up with some of those questions. <laughs> I was like, what could be a topic? Um, yeah, I think that. Um, um, I think it a combination of the whole reality thing that they feel like real people in some way, they can't be too perfect because too perfect characters um, never never sit well with people. Um, characters that tend to have uh, sit on a moral high horse never go over well. And it's funny how often shows cast a lead that sits on a moral high horse all the time and that lead is never popular. It's like always some secondary character that um
0: winds up being bought that character in Teen Wolf? Yes, that's
1: exactly what I was thinking about, is that they they put somebody who's got all this moral conviction in there like, yeah, okay. Um but I think that uh I do think that all the characters that I think of that I tend to zero in, they all have some kind of deep conviction. Um it doesn't always come out well though. It's like you know, it's like they do their best, so they have a lot of humanity. Um but they're not – they typically aren't wishy-washy. You know, they they aren't – you know where they are and who they are, even if you don't always like where they are. Right. Um, I mean, and it's not, like, Styles. I mean, he – you like the fact that he's incredibly loyal to the people he's loyal to. But you also like the fact that he doesn't just give that away to anybody. He's not loyal to everybody. And he's a snarky little shit, you know. Um I mean, one of my favorite moments of Styles is when he's a, uh, um, I don't remember what Danny says to him, but Styles he says he's a terrible person, and Styles just kind of agrees with him, and like, yeah, it's a terrible cross to bear, or something like that, and it's just, it's like he knows he was being awful, but, you know, that was his, that was a decision he made, and he was just going with it, and sticking with it, and <laughs> <laughs> he's going to own that being an awful person. <laughs> yep. And we really, you know, we really dig that. Um I often relate to characters that are very uh, – that put up – I relate to characters that that tend to put up – that tend to um, keep people away. You know, they kind of don't like being vulnerable. Um,
0: I think Rodney's
1: that way. I think Rodney's definitely that way,
0: yeah. But I think Tony is a better
1: example of it. Tony's a great example of it. And, you know, I didn't like Tony when I first started watching the show. So I started watching from the first season, and they, they didn't let you see that about him at first. Um, but the first time he let himself be vulnerable and he got smacked for it, I sort of fell in love with him. Um, like well,
0: he's Teflon-coated.
1: <laughs> yeah, because he just – he and he would put his walls back up, and then he'd relax, and he'd let himself be vulnerable again, and he'd get smacked for it. Right. And – it was one of the most painful parts of watching the show for me was how often he would, um, you know, get to that point of where he would need to be vulnerable and it would backfire on him. And um, and then even better were the moments where he needed to be vulnerable and, and he actually got the support that he needed. But, you know, I really related to him um, resisting that being vulnerable. Uh, and, and not wanting to have that, uh, because I think he you know, fundamentally had reasons not to trust people. So I think they made him really multifaceted and not obvious, and I think that that's a characteristic of a lot of really good characters, is you can't quite figure them out instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think
0: one of the more frustrating parts of NCIS is how much growth we've seen with Tony and how zero growth we've seen with Abby. Oh, yeah. She's regressed. And it's really irritating. And, it, and it's and it's sexist. They've mm-hmm. reduced her to a doll. Yep. And it's so fucking annoying.
1: Her more than anybody on the show. Because in some ways, they stopped the show sometime around, I would say, season four or five, maybe somewhere in there. They stopped developing characters and completely reverted to caricatures. But it happened worse with Abby, and it started probably in season three. Um, And she's just been a caricature since then, and she's had no growth at all. And they keep regressing that caricature to just this childish... so when I want to write Abby like strong, assertive woman who did, I have to channel her in the first season, season and a half, when she was yes. quirky and grown up, um, as opposed to an emotionally
0: manipulative, you know, child. Which is was But you know, a really great foil for her would be the character of Garcia on Criminal Minds, yes. who has grown. We have seen. Um, her go from being someone who's just really quirky to to having you know really depth. We've we, we've seen some of her history. We um we we met a former lover. <clears throat> we I mean it's just you know her her arc is so much better than what we got with Abby. It's really frustrating.
1: I agree. G- Garcia was handled so much better than um. For 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 you know, Gar- Garcia is one of my favorite. She's my second favorite character on um, Criminal Minds. I think they did a great job with because the quirky character is also another character class where people can get really invested in the really quirky character on a on on a show. Mm-hmm. And I think Garcia fit that. You know, here here's our but that show has it has you know five or six really serious people. They needed that foil. Um to to occasionally bring you wanting to smile on criminal minds because it was right. just and you know, I mean that's a bit of you know, that's a bit of brilliant character development going. You know, we can't have um, you know, a really serious tech analyst in this in this. We need somebody who's gonna lift the show up a little bit because everybody is so serious about their jobs and um yeah. So she um she has just grown tremendously in her in, in in not not just in in her in her in her personal development, but they let her grow in her career development in the show too, which yeah. so often you don't see.
0: I really enjoyed that moment when she comes into Hosh's office and says, "I want to do this too," and he was like, "Okay, let's try it." It wasn't a. Are you sure? You know, he didn't act like she couldn't do it. He didn't act like she wasn't capable of it. He was like, okay, we'll try. Let, let's let see how this works. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: And when and, and, her, and it, when it was when it got to be to the point that she needed to try to tweak the job, he found a way to make it work for her. You know, it, it let her have a little bit of vulnerability about the job, too, and go, you know, I don't want to be out in the field all the time. I don't want to be with you guys out there all the time. But I don't want to give it up either. I don't want to give up running cases with you guys. I don't want to be in my office all the time. And... They let her have that realistic um, finding her way with her career, and it was really gratifying to go through that process with her.
0: I really enjoyed it, and um, it's it's honestly kind of rare on criminal minds. Because I think sometimes the female characters get a short stick. Oh, they really do. But I really also enjoyed the uh, the on um, the character arc for JJ. And, oh, I enjoyed the one they did
1: with J.J. I did not much care for the one they did with
0: Emily. No, I really didn't like the Prentice one either. And um, I really, really didn't like how they treated Elle. No. That. I felt, mm-hmm.
1: like they felt like they were just getting rid of her, and they just did some weird... Yeah. I don't
0: know. It was...
1: It, it, I don't know. It didn't make but sense. It's... It didn't make sense, because... I was always a little I was a little bit Elle L was one of the characters I was a, a little less sold on. She was a little bit two dimensional to me through the first um mm-hmm. couple seasons. So oh, she's only there for two seasons, I think. Uh so she's a little bit two dimensional to me and, and I was waiting for me and I've waved them to develop her and then they developed her in a way that took her out of the show but also that made no sense
0: at all. I think that there needed to be more. We needed a longer arc. We needed to see her go from where she was to where she ended up. It was too abrupt. Yeah, that was it exactly, because you've got somebody who's been a
1: profiler and has been working these kinds of crimes for years, and all of a sudden, abruptly, she can't deal. And there there was just no
0: transition. Um, and it there was wasn't no like a psychotic break either. They didn't even play it that way. I mean, it, it wasn't like she snapped. This no. was a very deliberate thing she did and it was um you're right, it 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 just it was too abrupt. It 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 needed more. It and it, it needed more room. More development. It was just really <clears throat> <laughs> But I really did enjoy the JJ Arc. it's especially her experiences, um overseas and, and what she was forced to do and um all that stuff and then her coming back and um you know, really finding herself as a, um, as both an agent and as a woman, and she just is really strong. And when she kicked that woman's ass, I was like, hell yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> kick her JJ, ass.
1: <laughs> of all the, of all the female agents, um, JJ is the one that so far. I mean, she's also been on the show the longest, but they've let her have the most breadth in her development career wise because she had the promotion to state which was really the cover for what she was actually doing. Um and then they um uh let her they let her have a family and a ch- and, and now two children. Um but uh but the other a lot of times the other women on the show it's like they they're they're, they're too briefly. It's like they try to, you know, have what was the one that was played by Jean Triplehorn? It was like it was like they were shoving down your throat that she was, you know, a, a well balanced, well rounded, interesting character, and yet they didn't give anything behind that, and then they just took
0: her away. Yeah, I didn't. You know, didn't I, I liked her character. I wish we'd have gotten more of her. You I know, do. Some, I liked her too. Yep. But yeah. I like the actress. I really enjoy that actress, and I was like, Yay! I, you know, I'm really, but then they didn't give us enough. It had potential. It, it was almost there. But then it wasn't. Yep. It just kind of fell. It fell flat.
1: I thought they were trying to make up for the mistakes they made with Prentice, which was they were um, keeping her too, um, like knowing nothing about her. They're keeping her almost too too plastic for a long time she was i liked i liked that she was a really strong capable woman but she had no depth and then they sprung this really bizarre arc on on everybody that that made no real contextual sense uh right. to, to write her out of the show and it was obviously a plot device to write her out of the show uh and it was like okay well that didn't really give her any depth in my opinion it just kind of was nonsensical because it then made her history make no sense to me um 'Cause I don't think you go from being I don't what was that with Interpol and doing what she had been doing to having the chops to be a profiler. It didn't tell with in my head, the way that no.
0: uh,
1: they land they, they kinda of dumped all that on us. Um, when they
0: when they introduced her it made it seem like she was career FBI. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. So I mean they and but then they never did anything with her. It was kinda of like, uh, okay. She was the, you know, and I think you see this a lot is like the badass woman on the team has no emotional depth, really. And I think that that's uh, they didn't do that with Penelope, but she's also not a kick-ass agent either, right? So it it felt like they went down this trite path with Emily, and they could have done so much more with her. Uh, Because I really like Paget Brewster, so.
0: um, Well, she's going to be doing some guest work on. The, later in the season, so maybe we'll see um, some more of her, and they could give us some depth. I mean, I mean, just yeah. just something, you know, just a, a little more than we got. Cause I think actually we got more depth out of JJ's character during um, uh, Prentice's arc than we did Prentice.
1: I agree completely. Because <laughs> here's JJ
0: working it in a little it's, bit. It's, Convinced the whole fucking team, except for Hotchner, that Emily was dead. Hmm.
1: And then JJ had to be the one who had to live with the blowback of the team finding out that she had known all along. Right. Um, that Emily wasn't dead. And uh, yeah, they they did they did more for I think they've done they've done good well they've done well by JJ, but part of that I think part of that was that. I think the fans really spoke out about how they felt when they got rid of A. J. Cook. Um, they were not pleased about them taking A. J. Cook off the show. So, uh I think I think the, the writers went, Hey, she's apparently the fans really like this one. Maybe we should put some investment in her. And try to
0: be some you know, have some fucking respect would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I actually I didn't have a problem with Jennifer Love Hewitt's character. Um I would, again, like to have seen a little more depth, um, and I would like to, you know, because this is, does she have a lot of potential to be really interesting? Because this is a woman who's raising her niece, uh, and who's lost her sister, and, you know, she's, there's going to be a new baby, and you know, there's the husband, and it, it, that just had a lot of potential to be really interesting. But again, that they, they dropped the ball, or they didn't get a chance to because she left the show because she got pregnant. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, I thought the I thought the
1: arc that they invested in her with her niece was. Mm-hmm. I I I I think that question these decisions. I went, why would you invest in an arc that, you know. I, I don't know. It seemed like it was an odd odd choice to have the, the, the niece of someone in that line of work make that many mistakes of things she knew not to do. Um, you know, because you could see her all along the way knowing better and going, I'm going to do it anyway. And it just I was sitting there going, surely not, surely not, surely not. She works for a woman who has been working on crimes against children her entire career. She I mean, lives with a woman who's been working on crimes against children her entire career. Surely she's not going to fall for this. And I was like, oh, boy, <laughs> they're really going down this path. Uh, yeah. And I just, I, I wish they had, had invested in her in a, in a different way. Um, it felt... Uh, because it was like, oh, we're gonna figure. We're, we we know she's got this trigger because she's works crimes against children. We're gonna go. We're gonna go, and we're gonna have her final arc be um, uh, the most traumatic thing that could possibly happen to her. It just, I, I wasn't sure if it felt gratuitous or stupid.
0: I think if they wanted to do that, they should have done it in the other direction, where it wasn't where it became a peer pressure situation and her friend was the one who was all on board with meeting this person and doing this thing and, you know, you know, and her just being trapped in it because of her friendship. Yeah. But they made it seem like it was all her entire, it was all her. It was all her idea, all what she was doing. And as acts of rebellion goes, it's extremely stupid. Yeah. Um, there are, and, and, and if they wanted to have her niece kidnapped, they could have done that without her being lured on the internet. When you know, you know what? If I worked with crimes against children, there is no fucking. Way, you know, I'm gonna be honest right now. If I had a child in my house, there is no fucking way they would have unmonitored internet time. Exactly. Uh, it just that made no sense that
1: that, that kid had, um, you know, unre- unrestricted internet access. That just was just like wow. So it it, it, it was it was the, the so many of the elements of that arc have just come in and mingle, and then it makes you then it makes you question the characterization. It's like why would that happen, you know? Um, and so I feel like they they take the women out of the show in in these ways that are just kind of like, ugh. Okay.
0: Um. Someone said earlier talking about numbers did. Did you ever watch Numbers? I did. Um, one of the f- characters that fandom love to hate in Numbers is Amita. Mm hmm, they did. I don't hate her. I never did. I didn't either. I thought she was a
1: little um, um, underdeveloped. I agree. But. What there was of her i thought I thought she had it was she had the bones to be interesting. it was like it was like if I were roughing out an original character, I would feel like that that was the start of an interesting framework uh but it's like you know, and then that's like and it'd be like oh, I
0: forgot to do anything with her um they they left her very uh what bothered me most is they gave um, um Amita was had a lot of potential they um she was smart. She's beautiful. She's she's doing her thing. She's got her character going on. She's she's focused on her career, and I really enjoyed her ambition. But then they turned her into a love interest, and stuck her on the side of Charlie. Like her development and her, and then you know there's actually a moment where you can see that the writers have realized they've done this to her, but it's almost too late. Is when um. That new dean comes in and she asks Amita, why haven't you done this, this, and this, and why aren't you pursuing your career? Do you honestly think this man is worth your career? And they actually, like you can see the writers were, were aware of what they had done to the character and had their new character pointing it out. What was her name? Minnie? Millie? Millie. Millie. Millie, yeah, Millie. Because Millie Millie did not approve of that relationship between the two of them. Because she thought that it was slowing Amita down. And I agree. But one thing I really did like at the end is that when Amita got that opportunity to go abroad to, 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 to teach, that there was absolutely no question for Charlie about whether or not um he would go of course he would go he's going to support her i really appreciated that that he set aside his ambitions and his to go with her so she could do, had this amazing opportunity i really like that part of the relationship i don't have a problem with um the charlie and amita pairing i have a problem with um the fact that she became an accessory mhm and she didn't bang her thesis advisor. Her and Charlie didn't have any kind of romantic relationship until after she graduated. She I might have wanted something, but there was no, I mean, he didn't.
1: And, and sometimes there, there seems like to be a couple of cases of where, um, I, I can think of two off the top of my head kind of archetypes where um, fans zero in on them and hate the character, Um, female characters. And one is the Amita one where really what she is is she doesn't serve any purpose but to be a love interest, and they're more interested in that character being. Because Charlie was the most interesting character in Numbers. He was the fan focus. Um,
0: But you know that's not why they hate her. They hate her because she gets in the way of their flash. Right, she. That's exactly
1: it. She, she. They didn't like her because she was the canon love interest, and she got in the way of the romantic pairings they wished that existed. So there's that art, that that category, which is the love interest that's in the in the way of my OTP. And then the other, I think the other one I can think of off the top of my head where female characters are just hated is, and this is a, this is a, this is more of a the other I think is a flaw on the side of fandom, of just, you know, that's that's fandom flaws. The other flaw. Is on the side of the writers, where they make a strong character an utter bitch. Where it's sort of like, in order to be a strong, an assertive, um, it's sort of like well, we want this character to be really strong and assertive and stand, stand with the guys. So we're going to make her a complete horror show, and that's the Ziva character, like that that oh. kind of archetype. So, so we're going to make her we're going to make her absolutely horrible, and then everybody hates them because they're obnoxious. And that's the flaw in the writing of where it's sort of like, uh, and then and then and then you know if if there's a romantic interest that gets even worse because now you have a horrible bitch that's in the way of their OTP and you know and then you know there's burning an effigy and all kinds of horrible things but uh, but you see writers do that all the time is that instead of being able to write um, a character who has is able to be vulnerable and be female and still be strong and carry a gun and shoot people if necessary and not, you know, um, have it utterly destroy her life the first time she has to pull the trigger or whatever, they make them obnoxious because somehow, you know, complete bitch is uh, what it takes to hang with the big boys. It's very um, misogynistic.
0: It really is. I think one of the best female character arcs In science fiction is the character arc of Aaron's son in, um, Farscape. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, she goes through an amazing transition, and she grows, and she learns to love, and she loves so deeply, but she's still a hard-ass, she's still just amazing, she's this kick-ass character, and, um she gives birth in the middle of a battle and st- she's still got that fucking gun in her hand because she's, like, on it, you know? And I'm really, you know, just just amazing. And she's just an amazing, just amazing character ac- across the board. Um, and it's so rare that we get one like that where she's, she's flawed and um, good at heart and, capable of being vulnerable without being weak. It's just, it's amazing. It's an amazing character to, um, to watch transition. Dylan in Babylon 5 was interesting too, but I prefer Ivanova in Babylon 5. I liked her arc a lot. She's very kick-ass. But, um... Everybody knows I hate Jennifer Keller. Um, I don't hate Jennifer Keller because she was in the way of my slash pairing. Because um, I'm not that invested in canon. You might have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> canon, canon means nothing to me. <laughs> um, what what really bothers me about the character of Jennifer Keller is the utter and complete lack of development? She's just completely undeveloped, and her and her her uh,
1: she's undeveloped, and her and her character bio as it relates to the show didn't make a lot of sense. Um, she was. Too young and too inexperienced for the role they put her in. But that was actually a lot the flaw of Stargate Atlantis, anyway, is they're sending all these people that, you know, under, 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 uh, under, unexperienced or underexperienced um, out to the wilds of nowhere, possibly, you know, to face death and possibly not come home. And they're sending sometimes really young and inexperienced people to do this, and it didn't ever quite gel. And she fell in that category for me of where it was like, well, she, she's yeah, she's brilliant and she's a she's a prodigy, but she has no experience. Why would they send her out there to be in charge of take Carson's place? It doesn't that doesn't resonate in any kind of realistic way. So immediately went she didn't make sense. And then um, they didn't. If they do wanted to put a her. woman
0: in that role, they should have brought Dr. Lamb out. Yeah. Put her there. They could have still had Keller um, as a surgeon.
1: They should have not killed Dr. Fraser and let her go to Atlantis. Damn it.
0: This is true, too. Or they could have just not killed Carson at all.
1: Which was a horrible decision.
0: Uh, It was a very horrible decision. I... I get so mad. (laughs) Oh, it's so frustrating, but um, but I do um, I do hate her, and it's not because, like I said, I mean I have no problems getting rid of a or pushing aside or repairing somebody if they're in my way. <laughs> you know? Oh, Evan Lauren can have Jennifer this time. <laughs> you know? I don't care. <laughs> yeah,
1: but sometimes it's kind of like, what do you do with a character that there's nothing that it's just they're all blah. What I mean, other, than red, other than red-shirt them, I mean, what do you do with them, right? I mean, it's not like you can, um, you got to have some, something's got to engage your mind about a character to make you want to w- write them. And, you know, when they're milk toast, it's kind of like, why would I want to write that character?
0: Well, but I think one of the things about a character that has no development is that you can really, you know, you can put your, you know, an original spin on them you could make it interesting
1: but would you focus the thick
0: around them would you go look, this is you don't fall in love with Milktoast character
1: and want to write based on them i mean i think you could do something interesting with those underdeveloped characters i just don't know that they would engage my mind enough to go this person has had no development in the show i can i really want to write about them I i guess i don't I, I, I tend to f- want to write about the characters that, you know, kind of engage my imagination. Mm-hmm. So I tend to redshirt all the people that I don't like.
0: <laughs> Honesty. It's our gift to us. <laughs> 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 but I, you know... um, I think one of the best, like, one of the most fun I've ever had with a character is, um, Miko, Kasanji, who has zero development. I mean, we see her, like, once. Or maybe maybe twice, the whole fucking show. And she's, like, in completely fanning. I mean, because there's just there's nothing there. They aren't even sure if Miko and Dr. Kasanji are the actual same character. It's iffy. in the Stargate um, wiki. They don't even know for sure if it's the same character. Um... So she has the, she has less development than Jennifer Keller, and in all my fix where I put her, she's practically my favorite. That's <laughs> pretty yeah, awesome. I want to bring up something that someone put on um a, my preview of um, the North Star. Someone said they were surprised that Miko turned out to be so manipulative. All I want to tell you, if you're listening, is you need to go back and read Ties That Bind from the beginning. Because I told you that shit from the start. Miko is the one that sent Elizabeth the letter, the email, telling them they needed to come rescue Rodney. From the very start, it was clear that Miko was the one engineering all of that shit. And I don't know how you missed it. She gives Elizabeth all the gossip. McKay even comments on it and says you better not cheat her out of whatever you've told her that she wants. You know, chocolate or coffee or whatever it was, because Miko will exact a price if you don't give her the bribe she was promised. (laughs) And this is from the very beginning this happened. So for those of you who were surprised by her testimony during the house trial, are you fucking serious? Were you reading what I was writing or were you just skipping to the parts where the sex was? It's okay if you do that. Just don't act surprised by the shit that you skip. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's funny
1: because there was a, uh, someone left feedback on somebody's fic that basically said, I, I didn't read the whole thing, but what happened to such and such and such and such? I'm like. And without 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 literally saying that, that's kind of what they're saying. <laughs> So sure
0: like, well, now. if you didn't read it, you don't get to ask questions. Shut up. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, if well, I actually had one person do that to me a long time ago, and I responded in private an email and told them, "If you can't read my fucking story, you don't get to ask me fucking questions." Especially when that fucking question is answered in the fucking story if you'd fucking read it. <laughs> what? But anyway, yeah, so from the very beginning, I would think it would be obvious to anybody who actually read Ties That Bind that Miko is very um, personally manipulative. She tells Carson Beckett he's going to court her because she gets tired of waiting and fixing his stuff for no reason because he's not giving her what she wants. She is as much a geisha as Matthew and they don't play.
1: She knows what she wants and she sets out to get it using whatever methods
0: that serve her best.
1: Exactly. And <clears throat> I'm sure if she had to be direct and aggressive, she would, but you know, she's almost like a southern woman under the skin. It's like we don't you, know, <laughs> you don't uh, not do direct and aggressive. <laughs> But okay, we for have real, to. though, I was
0: just, when I read that comment, I was like, are you serious? <laughs> because, like, I didn't make it a secret. This wasn't some big reveal to me. And I don't know how you thought this was, um, I don't know why you're surprised. Even in Sentinels of Atlantis, Miko is kind of deceptive. She hides the fact that she's a guide for months. She hacks records to mm-hmm. do it
1: that was that that's that's the way totally the way i think of her is my 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 characterization my in my head M- miko um is uh um uh the way i remember her best is from that in in Sentinels atlantis is that she like hides shit and uh um it was he, she was hugely inspirational for how i'm writing her in in uh in the emergent sequel um because she's one of the three alphas on the city, and uh that's
0: they so find out all fun. kinds of
1: th- huh
0: that's so much fun
1: Thank yeah and alpha. so uh when she when she when she bright she- she emerges as an alpha like right before um uh, the Wraith invasion, right before the, the finale of the uh, season one. Mm-hmm. And she's like chopping off heads off Wraith, and rip, not chopping, ripping their heads off. And so she grabs her she grabs them and rips their heads off. Um, she's so aggressive when she emerges. Um, but, but they find out, so John confronts her and says, okay, so on paper you're like this. <laughs> but the reality <laughs> well, should... of you is a little bit different. <laughs> and she I reveals.
0: Think... Yeah.
1: And so she tells all this stuff that she said that she felt like the expedition didn't need to know (laughs) because, you know, it was really none of their business, and she was flying under the radar. And uh, that was hugely her being uh, very Slytherin, uh, and she had her reasons. And, you know, to her they were good reasons, and John disagreed with her a little bit about it. um, And... uh, And she has this whole very manipulative conversation. Not not manipulative, but she has this whole very, um, you're you're not going to try to get in my way of having my own wing, are you? And he's like, no, of course not. And you can have anybody in your wing but Rodney. And she goes, even this person? And he's like, Yes, even that person, and she's just very much. You're gonna, you're you're gonna, you know, she's very, she's very. By that point, she's very much more assertive, but she's been flying under the radar the whole time, and it's because of how you characterized her in Sentinels of Atlantis. Is like I gotta write her this way, even though I decided to make (laughs) her an alpha. So.
0: Well, I think that one of the reasons why the Queen is my favorite episode of Sentinels of Atlantis is because. of Miko's reveal, and um just um the depth of her character and and what I did with that, I think of all the episodes of St Atlantis that I'm most proud of that one because it was just boom, you know, and then it rippled throughout the rest of the series but but it was a mistake i i- I had no choice but to do that the way I did it because mm-hmm. I forgot that Miko had the gene. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was like, Oh shit, I forgot Miko. What am I gonna do? And like, Oh, this is what I'm gonna do But see it, it isn't just my fault because Lady Holder and Chris King, they forgot too. Which is <laughs> pretty
1: much the only thing you know about Miko for sure in the first season was that Is that she, had she has the, the
0: fucking gene. I know, right? <laughs> it's so that was, annoying. That was the
1: only time she was mentioned was go get Doctor whatever her last name I can never pronounce her last
0: name. And make her sit in the chair. <laughs> But then Lady Holder, right, she is the one that has to say, hey, dude, um, Miko has the gene. I'm like, God damn it. (laughs) She doesn't have the gene. What am I going to fucking do? And then I I sat down and I thought about how to insert her in and to explain why she hasn't shown up. And it it just kind of was really an organic plotting experience for me. And then when I wrote it, I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) Sometimes when you write something, you're like, Hell yeah, look at me <laughs> And that was one of those moments for me in Sentinels of Atlantis. The Queen was like Hell yeah. I'm look at me. You know? And that isn't often I mean most of the time I don't feel that way when it comes to my fan fiction. I um I don't know, I mean I mean I like my own work obviously and sometimes I read my own work just for you know, um Uh, comfort, uh, because I know I won't disappoint myself. (laughs) And when I feel really bad, I do read my own work, that way it's safe. (laughs) Like, I
1: know exactly what I'm getting into when I'm reading this.
0: Emotional clockwork. Um, Emotional clockwork uh, is basically my love letter to John Shepard. I think every writer has um one story that's basically a love letter to their character. And for me emotional clockwork is that love letter to John. Um, it's uh it's just um John was really undeveloped or underdeveloped in um Stargate and I uh uh I just um I don't know. I, I, I can't explain where emotional clockwork came from, really. I'm looking for the title of... I, I like I
1: love emotional clockwork. I'm trying to remember the name of the one of yours I've reread the most, because I, re- I reread a lot of your SGA stories. Um, but the one I... <clears throat> Oh, for heaven's sakes! I cannot remember that. It's funny I reread it so much, and I can never remember the name. It's the one that has uh, the the changes after "Don't Ask,
0: Don't Tell" is repealed. Human nature. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Human nature. Um, I I totally did name that after a Michael Jackson song. <laughs> I, I did. I really did. Um, uh, human nature. Um, I, people are ugly on the inside they are and we have we have so much potential for greatness but we have an equal amount of attention of uh, potential for terribleness um we can walk on the moon and drop an atomic bomb With these same amounts of conviction, that's our that's the depth of the greatness and the depravity of of of, of human nature that that's that's in us all. Um, my mom, a few months I guess it's a couple weeks ago, we were talking, and my sister, me and my mom are huge Criminal Minds fans. Um. She owns all the episodes on Amazon, so she can watch them whenever she wants to. How is the man? How is the man dealing with? Oh, he's at the he's at the season. He's at the end of season one, so we're getting pretty close to the. Um, is it the Fisher King that takes that takes place in season one? Yeah, that's Fisher King. Yeah, yeah. we're we're get, we're getting very close to Fisher King, so we'll we'll see how that plays. Um, but what we were talking about is that my sister was saying. There was this man, and I, I talked about it on Facebook. There was this man sitting across from us at the coffee shop with a book. He didn't have a, te- a he didn't have a, telefo- a, a cell phone or a tablet or anything. And my mom texted me. She's sitting right next to me, right. She gets her iPhone out and she texts me, and she's look at that man sitting there like a freak with just a book. And then she kept messaging me and saying he's a serial killer. And look at him scoping <laughs> women. He's got a dungeon. He's looking for his next victim. <laughs> just went on and on and on. Right, and it was funny as hell. It was really difficult to sit across from this way. man while well, my mother did this. I mean, it was it was really funny and terrible because he did look kind of creepy, to be honest, sitting there like that with a freak. Come on, who doesn't have a fucking cell phone? It was it was really freaky. Um, he's sitting there with an actual book. Yeah, she totally wrote fan fiction about this man. I mean, she was just like in it and um
1: RPF no less.
0: <laughs> yeah, for real, right? He was a, in, in her mind, he was one creepy motherfucker. He was a, coming on mine's episode waiting to happen. So anyway, we're telling the story to my mother and I, my, my sister uh and my cousin were sitting there and my cousin she says uh you, you know, not not everybody is that bad and uh and my mother says the most honest thing she's ever said ever. Every single person you know is one bad experience away from being a psycho. Amen. And I was like, "Yep." And my cousin was like, "No, no, 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 no." And I, she was; she's the one that's really into um, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. I said, "If Fifty Shades of Grey took place um, in a trailer park, it would be an episode of Criminal Minds." <laughs> And she was like, "I said, no, wait. If he didn't have money, think about it. If he was poor." And she was like, "Damn it! If if he had
1: the red, if he had the red trailer instead of the red room, red
0: room, yeah, yeah,
1: with his cobbled together, you know, thing made out of wire with dungeon, yeah." They would arrest him so
0: fast. <laughs> <laughs> My cousin is um sheltered. I, I would say that about her. She's uh she's um she grew um she grew up, she uh didn't go to college. <laughs> um her daddy picked out her husband, <laughs> it's a red shed. <laughs> her daddy picked out her husband and I have to admit he picked out a really good one. Um, he makes a lot of money, and he's very good to her, and, um, she doesn't work, and, um, uh, she has a couple of kids, and, um, she's just, she's, she's really sweet-natured, um, but she's silly, and she's, she's completely silly, um, but, uh, yeah, completely silly.
1: Yeah, I was leaving the laundromat the other day and there's a guy parked across from the laundromat, not at the laundromat but parked across it. And he's got uh he's bald with kind of a scraggly beard. Um, and he's kinda of nondescript. Um so kind of the unabomber esque except bald. And uh <laughs> and he's in a he's in an old white panel van and I just went <laughs> <laughs> I said I have been watching too many episodes of Criminal Minds because I see serial killers everywhere I go. <laughs> I can't watch Criminal Minds at night. Sometimes I'll check, like, is this, is this a show with where the victims are single women who live alone? <laughs> because I, I can't watch this shit before I go to bed. <laughs> I'll never get any sleep ever
0: again. <laughs> so, me and my husband go to the grocery store. And normally I go by myself, right? And, um, science so experience is a perfect example of why I go by myself. Um, $300. Anyways, um, I rarely ever have a grocery bill that's $300 at one store, but I do travel around a different store because my husband is a picky motherfucker. Um, anyways, I'm looking around for a parking spot and he says, there's one. I'm like, no, we can't park there. And I'm like, right, and he goes, there's one. I said, no, we definitely can't park there. And he says, why not? I said, you don't park next to a fucking van. Serial killers drive vans. And he said, well, I'm with you. It'll be fine. I'm like, dude, you could be a victim of a serial killer just as easily as I could. <laughs> Have you
1: seen how many men die on criminal minds? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, the thing is, is that this is, we were talking about this on Facebook, and I would posted something about the rape schedule, and how all women live by one. And, um, And he was just kind of stunned, you know? And I said, you know, what's your biggest fear about going to prison? And he said, you know what it is? I said, I have that fear every day. And he just didn't even know what to say. He didn't even know what to say. Yeah. Exactly. You know, because um, I walk with my keys in my hand because it's a weapon. Um, I carry a gun. I have a stun gun in my car. I have a stun baton in my back in the back of my car where I put my groceries, and it's in a pocket on on the side. So if someone grabs me, I can get I can get it. It's within reach, and it's in my car all the time. I don't park next to vans, and if I come out of my store of the store and there's a van parked to me, I will go right back in and ask for a bagger to walk me out to my car. I, just, just this is just the things that I do.
1: This is the reality that women have to live with in in this I get world.
0: In, I get in my car. I. First thing I do is lock the doors. But before I get in my car, I check the back seat.
1: Oh, yeah. All that, all you know, because that stuff, it really does happen that people are in the back seat of the cars. We've seen it enough depicted in TV shows that you don't want that moment where you're unaware that somebody's behind you.
0: No, I check the back seat. I get in the car. I lock the doors. I put my key in the ignition and I go. Because you don't linger in a parking lot, and even if I have to stop somewhere else, I get in my like, I'll get in my car and move. Because if you stay in one spot, you're more of a victim. Mm-hmm. So I think it was uh yeah it was Wednesday night. I was driving home late,
1: um, like around, I think I got home about one o'clock in the morning, and um, there's not you know. Even where I live, there's not there's traffic but not a ton of traffic at that hour, so freeways four lanes in each direction at that point, maybe five at that section. I don't remember anyway, I merge in, I'm in the right hand lane I wanna get over, and uh there's somebody in my blind spot on on the left, so I can't get over, so I slowed down, they slowed down, sped up, they sped up, slowed down, they slowed down, sped up, mm. they sped up for like at least five miles or maybe longer. They would not let me move over. It was very deliberate it was like it was a, it was a man um, i i mean i I had had no interaction with this guy other than getting on the freeway and putting on my blinker and it was i mean we're on the freeway right so it was like it was just it wasn't like i was being you know it wasn't like there was an imminent threat, but it was freaky that he was trying to control where I was on the freeway
0: he was it's domination. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a. <sighs> and so it may piss
1: me off, but it also it had that moment of, okay, this actually is scaring me a little bit. Because why is he doing this? I actually slowed down on, on a freeway where people routinely travel 80 miles an hour. I slowed down to 35 miles an hour and he slowed down with me. So it was just like, okay, I, I don't know what to do.
0: I'd have called 911.
1: Uh, I, I would have. That's what I should have done. Um, but uh, what I did is I made a very unsafe last minute exit off the freeway, where he could not possibly have uh, followed me. But it was like you know this is this is uh, uh, I mean this is it probably was a prank in his mind in some fashion, and was some sort of obnoxious thing he thought was funny. Uh, but, but to you, it was a threat. To me, it was threatening.
0: Yeah. Well, catcalling is threatening.
1: Right. Because we can't afford to not take that shit seriously.
0: No, but I'm serious about street harassment being threatening. It, It is threatening because they're not telling you you're attractive. They're telling you you're vulnerable. They're pointing out to you that you are not safe from them. You're just not safe. They're saying that. They're saying you're not safe. It's a threat. It's a, um, it's completely a threat. Because they don't expect you to respond positively. They don't expect to get a phone number out of the shit like that. Um, I got followed all the way from the grocery store. Uh, I made some turns into places and you know, streets that nobody travels. Followed me. Follow me, follow me, follow me. So there's a check cashing place down from my house. And on Friday nights, this was a Friday night. It was a couple of months ago, maybe two months. um, There's a cop in that parking lot um, because they're a cash business. So I pull in and I wave the cop over. And this dude pulled in behind me in the parking lot. And I'm like the cop comes over and I said look I don't know what I did to this guy maybe I cut him off I don't think I did maybe I did but he's been following me um for about 18 miles and he drove past this really really slow and looked at me and at the cop and the cop said well how about I go follow him and the guy left the parking lot and the cop followed him nice and I went home and um the uh Next time I went grocery shopping, on my way out of the grocery store, I got a coffee, <laughs> and the cop was sitting there. And I rolled the window down, and I, I said, "I brought you a coffee. <laughs> <I> said, Thank <laughs> you for what you did last week." And he said he pulled that guy over, and um, the guy had he, the guy had no reason. He denied following me, um, and uh, just, but I said I brought you a coffee, and um, you know, I got some cream and sugar because I didn't know what you'd like. <laughs> you <know? laughs> It's better to undoctor than the doctor wrong when it comes to a coffee. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just for no reason. He was just fucking with me, apparently. I, I imagine that was entertaining to him until until he got pulled over by a cop. And the thing is, I mean, to, uh,
1: we, and, and if we didn't live in the world we live in, maybe that, that kind of their version of entertainment, we might find that to be just annoying I wouldn't lead to my house still, but maybe it would just be annoying. But you know, with the world we live in, and the kind of in our and our what our social climate is, and, and the kind of the culture we have around rape and harassment, you can't afford to not take that kind of behavior as a
0: threat. No, it was very threatening. I came home and told my husband, and he went out and got in the car. I said, "Where are you going?" Where are you? He goes, "I'm gonna look for him." I said, "That's it, it, gonna be kind of difficult." <laughs> There are, like, 3 billion F-150s in this area. And that and that's another thing, too. He was on one of those big man trucks, you know? And, um... And I'm sure, like that guy on the highway, he was just, you know, fucking around. But it's not... But, you know, I had that creepy stalking incident in, in the grocery store as well. And my husband wonders if it's the same man that followed me around in the store, saw me again, and tried to follow me home. Because that dude said he knew me. And I'm like, I don't know that dude. (laughs) Ugh.
1: So, you know, what I, you know, sometimes it's funny how personal these experiences we have kind of make it into what we're working on in our writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I didn't come home and kill somebody who had been driving in my blind spot for five or six miles. He was not tempted. Um, but what I did is I decided that the next case I was going to have come up in the story I'm working on is the stalking case. Um, well, in order to do that, I felt like I needed to be a little bit proficient in what, you know, stalking laws were. And uh, so I spent I don't know a couple of hours reading about stalking laws and um, and, and that's not something I would ever recommend to anybody. It'll just piss you off
0: because so a lot that shit they do isn't illegal.
1: It, it really isn't, and it's really and even 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 if you can prove if, even if they meet the the bar for criminal activity, the odds of anything the police doing anything or you know or prosecutor you know actually charging them is Almost nothing. Uh, it was
0: just, That's, it was so but The thing disturbing. is, is that California has some really, or, you know, has some of the best stalking laws, and even their laws aren't great. No. But I was just like, I was like,
1: well, you know, I, I kind of was doing this to kind of um, sort of work this little Wednesday night annoyance out of my system, and now I'm just really
0: depressed. <laughs> because the thing is, is that... um this is going to sound really terrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that a lot of men, um, when it comes to stalking, they don't take it seriously. And it's not taken seriously because um, we live in an environment, in a society where it's perfectly okay For men to be predators. Mm -hmm. And we're prey. They don't get prosecuted. For rape. They don't get prosecuted. For stalking you that can come onto your property, they might get escorted off, but they're not going to be prosecuted for it. Nope.
1: Especially, especially if you live in a city or a state that has statutes about um, um, no jail time for nonviolent crimes. Right.
0: Because so they'd much rather put a drug addict in prison than a man who's threatening um, a woman. He's just being a man. That's just what men do. And I know that you know I have male listeners in um, that maybe you um, feel insulted by what I just said. Um, but if you're thinking in your head, not all men... That's great that you think that most men are like you, and they wouldn't and they wouldn't do that, but you're wrong. We have been on the air an hour roughly an hour and forty minutes, and statistically speaking, um, let's see so. Sixteen women have been sexually assaulted in the United States since I started my radio show. But a woman is raped or sexually assaulted in this country every six minutes. One in ten will be sexually assaulted before they're the age of 30. That means, statistically speaking, there are probably at least three sex abuse victims or sexual assault victims in my chat room right now and what I would say to anybody who says oh but not all men are like that Um, what I I would tell you as a woman is that um, I can't read your mind and you look like a threat I rarely encounter a man who isn't at least five or six inches taller than me. I'm only 5'3". You outweigh me. You're bigger than me. You can probably bench press me. You're a threat. That's how I see you. More women die in this country at the hands of domestic partners than any other method of death outside of natural causes due to heart disease. We're talking car accidents, um, workplace shootings, whatever. But you kill us on a regular fucking basis. 18,000 women have died at the hands of intimate partners since 9-11. That is more than everybody who died in the towers and all the wars we've fought since as far as American citizens go. So maybe it's true that not all men would rape, but I think a lot of men don't even know what rape what rape is.
1: I agree, and I think, and you know, they have that. Uh, there's that. Uh, Common, you see it frequently on the internet of the why we the change in perspective that's needed about rape prevention. Because, and a lot of times you will hear this from men about this is what needs to be done to prevent rape. But on their list is not men need to stop raping women. That's how you prevent rape. Is men stop doing it or raping other men? You know, rape ha- stops when when the perpetrators stop doing it. And that's the first step is don't rape people um,
0: and I mean, look, that's, it sounds simple, doesn't it?
1: It sounds incredibly obvious. It's like why you know we have all these we have all of these uh uh these precautions about teach your daughters to do this and this and this. Why isn't on the top thing on the list teach your sons what rape is and not to do it?
0: I read something awful on um, Tumblr about a boy and a girl, and um, this was on the news too. He kept asking her out, and she kept saying no, and um, he brings a gun to school and tells her, if you don't go out with me, I'm going to kill you. And she goes to, of course, to the, to the people um, that her teacher tells, and they do find a gun in his backpack, and more than one person, students her age, told her that it was her fault, that she put them in danger because she told him no, that it wouldn't have hurt if she had just gone out with him.
1: Victim shaming, victim blaming is just one of the ugliest things that
0: is just. I'm thinking to myself, so are ugly. you for fucking serious? You're absolutely right, Echo. If she had said yes, he would have probably killed her. Someone who views a gun as a solution to rejection... I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm as a gun owner, I don't consider my gun a solution to any situation. It's not a solution. It's um It's my last line of defense. Because I firmly believe that if I actually have to pull my weapon, I'm going to have to put a bullet in somebody. And I don't want that day to come. I don't ever want that day to come. And I think that if you're a responsible gun owner, um, a genuinely responsible gun owner, the last thing you ever want to do is point your weapon at another human being. No. Definitely not. <clears throat> but I'm also proficient, so I would I wouldn't miss. <laughs> <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> I'm just saying, I wouldn't miss. <laughs> but I you know but that's the world we live in and um I think that this um it, it it holds true that misandry is annoying um but misogyny kills
1: it's very that that is absolutely true i um i uh i sort of um been immersing myself and because i i made some odd I mean, some odd choices about what to do with a story, and I've been immersing myself into what kinds of crimes and what the realities are of solving and and investigating and not even solving um, crimes that are like like an SVU would care would 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 uh, work on. And that is frustrating as all fuck. It is frustrating as hell but when you realize the breadth of what they cover and the odds of getting even to an arrest.
0: In those Even a of cases. small amount of justice is probably impossible.
1: Yeah, so I get I get like down the path of this is the path I've chosen for the story. This is the team that I have character on, and so I'm checking into stuff and I'm realizing that I'm pushing my own buttons about because I keep I keep having, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to focus too much on the casework because it's depressing. Um, I'm like, well, odds are if they go out on this domestic violence call, the wife is not going to. The odds are that she's not going to admit that it's domestic violence. So they're not gonna go anywhere. Odds are, um, with, you know, this stalking case, they're not gonna be able to do anything to help her. Odds are, I and mean, this was like every time I put a case in the story, I was depressing the fuck out of myself. I actually mm. had to write a special warning for the story that even though I wasn't having graphic violence or anything depicted in the story, that it could really trip people's triggers and that they needed to take care of themselves and not read it if if that could be a case because it is very frustrating. Um i mean it was it was bugging me, and I, I i i was the one writing it, so it was like, but you don't think i hadn't you know i don't put- don't put a lot of thought into what it must be like to um and there's and, you know there's reasons why these you know these there's reasons why in all these cases why 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 battered women won't testify against their husbands i mean there's reasons why this stuff all happens um But a lot of it is cultural. A lot of it is is a cultural problem in our country. And uh, it's just...
0: Well, well, yeah, and it also boils down to economic security. Yeah. And the fact that women make um, 70 cents on a dollar compared to Mm -hmm. men. Or 76 cents. It's ridiculous. And because our economic um, power is... uh, Undermined by men, a lot of these women get stuck in situations where they cannot afford to leave that um they're they're choosing between getting their ass beat once a week if they're lucky it's just once a week or living on the streets. mhm uh, and losing their children. Yeah,
1: and and that's you know and and that's and that's that's a, you know that's also a societal thing is that we don't have good mechanisms to take care of people. We go, hey, we want to pull you out of this situation, but we're not going to do anything to help you once we pull you out. You know, you're gonna, you might lose your kids, you 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 might wind up homeless, you might have nothing, you might know how to support yourself. And it's just it's just so bleak, um I don't know how the people who you know the people who care and really really care about um doing that job
0: I don't know how they stand it well, that's why the burnout rate for social workers is so high, yeah, especially if they do care if they do invest themselves um and it boils down I think to um not only um taught misogyny, um, but also uh, the uh, the master of the universe complex, maybe, you know, uh, I don't really know how to say it, is that um, men assume they are more important across the board. Their opinion matters more. Their politics matter more. Their career matters more. Um, there was that Republican who said that women shouldn't work because it takes jobs from men, or that men or men deserve to make more money because they're the breadwinner.
1: That's just, I, I,
0: I yeah. Mm. <laughs> I know, right? Oh <laughs> ha! <laughs> <laughs> makes you want to punch yeah. somebody in the face.
1: <laughs> there was um, there was a there was an article about some study that was done at some university, where they uh, it was posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago, I think, um, where they they when they did were checking a cl- monitoring a classroom, and they were having um, discussion, and they were. Clocking how long the women engaged in the discussion and how long the men engaged in the discussion, and they were asking afterwards, "What was your perception of the engagement? Of how much were women talking, how much were men talking, and that kind of thing?" And what I remember about it was that if women talked approximately, I think they, it was something in the teens, like 13 to 18 percent or something like that, as much as the men, it was perceived as equal contribution and if they talked um i think it was it was under 40% it was something in the 30% um as much as the men talked they were perceived as dominating the conversation and trying to take over and i just was kind of stunned that something that should be to me um completely objective and not subjective at all um is like this person talked for 20 minutes and that person talked for 2 could be perceived as equal contribution, but because it's a woman, she was. It, it just, I just, I was, I was completely flummoxed by the finding of this observational research. It was just weird.
0: It was, yeah. I think I read that too. Um, never gonna really happen. Saying seventeen percent. Oh, the conversation. Seventeen 17%, 17%. percent. Yeah. Is equal, um,
1: is equal contribution. I mean, that's just, oh, yeah, they uh, talked as much as I did. Um, no, 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 they, they talked uh, quite a bit less than you did, actually. But, you know, I, I, the thing is, I can't say that I haven't experienced that because I worked, um, you know, for 20 years in a heavily, heavily male dominated um, industry. And uh, a lot of times I was the only woman in a meeting. I mean, things change towards towards, um, as time went on, there were more and more women. But um, especially early in my career, I was often the only woman in the room. And uh, if I talked for more than two minutes or something like that, it was sort of like, you know, you really are kind of bossy or you're really trying to take over or, you know, you need to dial it down a little bit. It was like, come on.
0: I know, right? You feel
1: realize I... I'm actually the person running this meeting. I'm I'm supposed to be talking. <laughs> I
0: I was um a very uh I guess I was in my mid 20s and I was working in an academic environment and um I was the only woman in the meeting and um there were a couple of um deans from other departments in the meeting as well and my boss um was very um very conscious of the fact that um, he was very good about making sure of contributions and um listening to women when they talked and um he was raised by a single mother and I think that makes a difference. I really do um, He was raised by a woman and he was very respectful and um he and three different times the the dean of the English department interrupted me and he interrupted him every time some one of them interrupted me he in, he immediately interrupted them. And you could, I, I could see the frustration building on their faces. And he could too, and he kept doing it. And finally one of them said, why are you doing this? And he says, why are you doing it to her? And they hadn't even realized they were doing it to me. But they had definitely realized he was doing it to them. He said, the thing is, is all of you were here because you wanted to know how we were doing this process. Well, this young woman is the one doing this process. She created it. It's her job here. You all came here to ask her questions. You're all asking her questions, and then you're not listening to her answers. He said, so if you're not prepared to sit here and listen to her answers, you're wasting her time and mine. And this meeting is over. And he threw them out. (laughs) (laughs) I was Good like, oh, him. my God, you're going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> you're going to get in so much trouble. And he did get um, a phone call from the president of the university. And they were like, dude, what were you? And he told them what they were doing. And he was like, okay, but um, and he goes, like, there's no buts, really. I mean, if if they're not going to listen to what uh, they wanted to, just there's just no buts. So the next time one of those meetings came up, and um, they were all really, really quiet, really quiet. <laughs> and what was really funny is that the one that was the worst, he actually brought an English professor with him that was a woman, and she did all the talking for him. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't know
1: how to interact with women, so i i i had to I had to bring my own. <laughs>
0: I brought a woman with me because I can't be a decent person, <laughs> and that's what it boils down to, really. Um, but she and I had a really great conversation, and they watched. <laughs> it was really annoying, but I, I don't know if it was because if it was just because I was a woman, or if it was because I was a young woman. Um, Because one of them called me sweetheart four times, and I actually corrected him the last time. I said, "No, actually, my name is," and I gave him my name, and I, and I would prefer that you not call me an endearment because I don't even know you. And he got he got really he he looked really irritated. But what could he say? And it wasn't like, it wasn't a natural movement for him. He was obviously being condescending. You know, because some people just use endearments, it just comes out of their mouth. I do it. I'll call somebody honey in a heartbeat. But it's not like it's, it's not a condescending moment for me. It's a, I don't know your name, but I'm trying to address you kind of thing.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you just are moved affectionately by somebody you barely met. And you go, oh honey, that's just so, whatever.
0: exactly. But this was but not as opposed to,
1: Oh, hey, darling, how you doing? Or, you know, do <laughs> you think we can get this meeting started, sweetheart?
0: Oh, excuse God. Me? He actually asked me to get him coffee when the meeting first started.
1: I had I'll call me Sweet Cheeks once at a company. I was like, uh, excuse me? I I promise you I'm quite salty. <laughs> all
0: over um, you know I, I- i waited tables when I was in college, and um that um that experience um when you're i mean you know I was a decent looking woman i'm decent looking I'm not gonna scare people off and um I had big tits and a lot of ass and uh, at the time and um so I made really good tips <laughs> um and uh Doing that job when you're really young um, kind of prepares you for for life in some terrible ways. Because men think they have a free pass with with, with waitresses. And you can't, the thing is, is, they can take whatever they want to to you. And if you're rude, they're going to complain and you're going to get in trouble. So if they ask you out, you laugh it off and you know, oh, you're so cute. Well, thank you so much. What would you like to drink? You know, and you just have to play it off like it, like they're not being insulting little fucks. Because if you, the other night, me and my mom were at a Chinese restaurant and the the waitress was beautiful. I mean, she was just a very beautiful woman, and um, the guys sitting next to us um told her. And she's like, oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, what would you like to eat? And she's trying to get her. She's just trying to do her fucking job, right? And he hits on her the entire time. And when she brings the check, he asks her out, and she tells him that she's married. And he said, yeah, but are you happily married? Now, this woman is just doing her damn job. (laughs) So, and she's. I can see her trying to formulate an answer. And my mom said, honey, can you come here for a second? <laughs> and my mom said, I want you to stand here and talk to me they leave. <laughs> and that waitress looked so relieved. Because so, cause at, at that point, she has no response that won't get her in trouble. She has brushed off this man's advances for an hour. And if she tells him to go suck a dick or whatever you know, she might like to say to him to tell him to fuck off, she's going to get reported to her manager for being rude to a customer. And men prey on young women in these jobs because they are stuck behaving a certain way. They mm-hmm. can't respond the way they would normally respond on the street or in a store or in a bar and tell you to go fuck yourself because she's on the job. She's doing her damn job and he sat there for about five minutes, but every time he looked over, my, my mom would glare at him, and, and he would turn his head, and eventually he left. And I said, go over there and see if they tip you, because if they ain't not tip you, I'm going to go out there and talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, yeah, they tip me. I was like, I'll go, I'll go out there. Let him report me for being rude. I don't give a fuck. For serious.
1: That's just not okay. That's just not okay.
0: But I see it all the time, and I saw it when I waited tables. Um, it's, men are terrible. Men are terrible in those situations, especially if you work in a place that serves liquor. I did that, too. I, I worked in a bar. I bartended some and um, during the summers. And, uh, oh, God, I can't tell you. And honestly, had, dude, if you're listening, going up to a female bartender and ordering a, slip, a slippery nipple, or a buttery nipple, what is it? I think it's slippery. It's not, it's not sexy. No. Sex on the beach is not sexy. In fact, I had a guy order sex on the beach for me before. And he smirked, and I said, "Are you sure you want that drink?" And he was like, "Yeah, I want it." And I said, "It's kind of girly," and I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and I made it.
1: So when I was uh, when I was fifteen, I um, I was when I was five eight. Well, I mean when I was when I was twelve, I was five foot eight, and uh, I wore a double D cup bra mm-hmm. at twelve. And oh, by yeah. the time I was fifteen. I was five foot ten and I wore a double f so wow, you, um
0: you, you, you I, I was
1: so small <laughs> so i was i was, did not look at anything remotely close to fifteen um and um i uh got a work permit because I wanted to make some money and um I'm working at the i needed to work somewhere close to home because i had to walk and uh I'm working at the uh all night taco place. working the drive-through um, on Friday and Saturday nights um, from about I don't know 6 p.m. worked an eight-hour shift. And the worst-behaved men I've ever encountered in my entire life, in my entire life, were those drive-through customers. I mean, they would come up to the drive-through, and I would repeat their order back to them. This is what you ordered. I would turn around; they'd be masturbating. <gasps> or they would masturbate on their money and hand me, like, their my money would come all over it. Oh. And it would just be like, oh, oh, present. <laughs> um, well, isn't this lovely? Um, I had guys try to yank me out of the drive through window. Um, <gasps> it was just, it was, you know, I did this, you know, for, I, I worked at that place for, like, just for the entire summer. But uh, it was, it was, uh, you got guys to see the absolute worst, and this was in Texas. So I got to see the absolute worst, worst behavior uh, uh, I could possibly imagine people in. Um, and at that time, um, drinking while driving, Not uh, open beverage containers were legal in Texas at the time. Um, so guys would just pull up and drink in their beer. They had, they had drive-through liquor barn back then. Um, oh, you could,
0: I saw a drive-through liquor store in Ohio a couple years ago.
1: That's just I just find that so bizarre because, like, you know, you can't even, have, you're not supposed
0: to. Lazy ass you know, motherfuckers. You can't even go into a fucking. Come on. And go in and get your beer
1: and just, like, pop the top and start drinking it. And mean, we're not talking about drinking and driving. We're talking about drinking while driving. <laughs> it was just. And so they'd pull up with their cum coated $1 bill in one hand and the beer in the other, and I'd be like, oh, God, I hate you. Why bitches. am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I don't care if you want nachos, dude. Go away. And I'm not, you know, because I'm so tall, um, I I don't get. I mean, honestly, honestly, I don't get as much harassment. I never did as much harassment as, um, as honestly, as smaller women get. Um, I I really do think that uh, men are a little bit more. They often are, are more intimidated. Um, but I've actually have had some guys, and I and I used to wear heels a lot too, especially heels on a platform. Mm-hmm. So I'd be six inches taller. So I'm like, you know. Um, I'd be sitting there in the coffee shop or whatever, and um, a guy would start harassing me, and I would just stand up. And he would shut the fuck up and go away.
0: See, that's when being tall in the world would be good. But I'm short. I'm just 5'3", and um, even in my tallest pair of shoes, I'm 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 barely 5'6", because I can't wear a super high high heel anymore. Um, I can't either anymore. It's sad, actually. It's very sad. I saw some boots the other day. Oh! I fucking love those boots. I fell in love with them, but there's no way I could put them on my feet.
1: But I have a I have a friend who's five foot two. Um she is like the master of the dick punch because guys <laughs> will pick her pick her up. I mean just and she's very tiny. She's 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 um um half Chinese and she's she's really super tiny and I see I've been with her when guys will just walk up to her and like pick her up and hug her. Don't even know her. Is, you know, I've been with her, it's happened twice, and she dick punches him every time.
0: What is that? I've n- I'm short, I'm short. Um, I've never had somebody try to pick me up before. What the fuck?
1: She says it happens to her on a semi-regular, but not like every month or anything, but she says it's probably happened to her in her life, you know, probably eight or nine times. And uh, she says she doesn't understand it. Some people think people must think she's some kind of fucking doll or something, or you know, um, or uh, although she has mentioned that she believes that some there are some people who really fetishize Asian women, and just kind of she worries that that's kind of sometimes what what's going on too.
0: Um, oh, that's creepy as fuck.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it's just. It's just weird, um that people are so intrusive of her space cause people don't get intrusive into my personal space like that. They'll say things to me sometimes, um, but they won't they don't tend to get into my personal space because um I'm a lot more physically intimidating than than someone who's really tiny and I really you know I really have um, it's like all of my friends are really really really, really short, so you know when I hug them it's often it's very odd either I have to bend way way down. Or, or they get, get a the face boob. full of boob? It's a boob hug. It is. I got
0: I got I got two of your friends. Every time I hug them, I get a face full of boob. I'm used yeah. to it. I'm sure your short <laughs> friends are too. I, I, I wouldn't they worry are. about
1: it. I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, I'm like uh, actually one of them she's like I love hugging you. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: You've got
1: some kind of boob thing going on, but you know I I I because I, it's weird how my friends are just really teeny tiny uh, very short um, ladies, and because of of being around them so much and seeing how they're treated differently for me. Um, you know, it was it was it was it was actually eye opening for me. Um because I'd had my own issues with how men talked to and treated me, but that was something that was not um in my sphere as men getting that into my personal space.
0: Um, well Echo says she's five and, foot and Asian and she's had people pick her up and pat her on the head. I just uh I I I don't know what I, I I don't know what I would do if somebody did that to me. I my personal space gets invaded a lot. Um, I've got some boobs. I'm an, I, I'm a double D, and men like to reach across me and rub their arm on my tits. Um, I I kind of hope as I got older and I gained a little weight that it would stop. No. Now, I'm not, I look good for my age. I'm in my 40s, um, but I look like probably in my th- early 30s. I mean, I don't have any wrinkles or anything. I'm, you know, I keep my hair dyed so they can't see my gray hair. Um, but uh, still, you know, I mean, it's like, and I know, I know that, you know, um, that kind of dominance and aggression has nothing to do with being attractive. You know, um, women of all ages are sexually assaulted of all appearances, big, small. It doesn't really matter, it isn't about your being attractive. But I'd kinda hoped that <laughs> as I got older that it would taper off. But no. No. They, they they still invade my personal space. I can't tell you how many strange dicks I've had rub up against my hip or my or my butt in public um in the last year. Oh sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you are, motherfucker. The only time I don't get that kind of um, personal space of invasion is when my husband is with me, and then that's when you realize that they're not respecting your respect, your space. They're respecting his property. Ew. That's that's what it is.
1: Yeah, it's just it's so ugly. Um, it is.
0: The last time someone told me I'd be pretty if I smiled, I told him he'd be pretty if he was on the floor. And asked him if he wanted help to get there. (laughs) He walked away. Why is it that men want you to smile at them? What the fuck is that? Is it some kind of validation thing? I have no idea. I have really bad bitch face and the resting bitch face, and uh, uh, I need a better resting bitch face. I don't know. I mean, I don't think mine's good enough anymore. It used to be great, but now I get approached by people, so I obviously need a better resting bitch face. I get, I get harassed. I do get harassed
1: more when I'm in a good mood and I'm smiling. I will say that. Um, uh, 'Cause my resting bitch face is it's sort of Jeremy Renner level resting bitch face. <laughs>
0: Congratulations. <laughs> it's
1: like people I've had people ask me like, Why are you so angry all the time? I'm like, I'm not angry. I'm I'm reading. I don't I don't get angry when I read. This is the fun time. You're having fun? Like, seriously. This is the entertainment portion of the day. While well, you look <laughs> like you're about to murder someone. I'm like, okay. <laughs>
0: Reminds me of that GIF I saw on Tumblr, and it's um, Catherine Heidel, and she, or or was or it uh, Charlize Theron, where she says, "I just think murder and walk." Oh, I think that was Charlize <laughs> Theron. Yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> we right, down to sixty seconds? Um I think I probably answered the question in the first half of the show, so um, there we go. You sure did. (laughs) You guys have a um, great evening, and I'll probably be on the air tomorrow since um, my mom and I are not going shopping. My um, sister is having her date night for Valentine's Day tomorrow, so my mom is babysitting, and I am not babysitting, so I am not going to be involved in the sitting of children so I'll be here, being crazy. We'll think of something. And I do want to tell you guys that on the 14th, I am going to have a present for you on my website. I was going to do on evil author day, but then I decided since it was a completed story that it will be on for Valentine's Day. So it's something for you guys to look forward to. Good night. The show ended, I think. Uh, yeah. I wonder. I'll do that anyway. (laughs) Bye, Gera. Bye.